Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, December 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as coronavirus hospitalizations and long-term care facility outbreaks grow, so does the demand for frontline workers. We examine how new medical professionals are preparing for work during a pandemic. Then the coronavirus incubation period can last up to two weeks. But as we learn from a COVID-19 survivor, the effects of infection can last months. Plus, the Public Service Commission is expanding broadband access with help from the FCC. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is facing a surge in coronavirus cases, and health officials say intensive care units are stressed more than ever. In a statement via Twitter yesterday, State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says pressure on ICUs are worse than the summer surge, and 26 hospitals are on diversion for critically ill patients. The strain is creating fatigue in frontline workers, and there is a nationwide shortage of nurses. This is opening doors for recent nursing school graduates. Jamie Ramsey is a new grad. She tells our Kobe Vance the pandemic caused a level of unpredictability, but she's hoping to work in a medical sur- work in medical surgical nursing on the front lines of the pandemic to help treat COVID nineteen patients. Everything was uncertain, especially during school. We never knew, you know, what was going to happen. Our professors they really didn't have any answers for us, so. Um, starting out, it was really difficult. We really didn't see an end to any of this. Um, but within the the last couple of months, I have seen some progress. I have seen where um, there have been more people that are really opening up, and uh, we have some some answers, not a lot, but we have some answers, which is better than what it was when we first started. So I think we are seeing progress towards um, – you know, answering some of those questions and hopefully ending some of this pandemic, these pandemic situations. So I am very optimistic that hopefully uh, with us working with our president and with uh, the healthcare professionals that we'll finally get some answers and we can um, see those numbers going down. Yeah, what does it feel like to you to be walking out of school and going into the workforce um, during the one of the worst pandemics in this, in a century? It is definitely um, scary. <laughs> it's definitely scary, but I definitely look forward to, like, um, helping in any way I can. Um, I am looking forward to doing it, but I'm afraid as well. But, I, I mean, I wouldn't have went into nursing 
if it would have been an easy job. Now, this is my passion, so I'm trying to dive in head first. What kind of experience uh, would you like to have um, as you as you continue on into your career? Are you wanting to work with COVID patients, or are you wanting to uh, just try to stick with the, the original path of trying to uh, work with like labor and delivery, like you were saying? I actually want to do both. So I've, I've been thinking about going the med surge route because I know that I can dip into both fields um, so I can have experiences on both ends. So if I if there is a pandemic in the future or maybe another flare-up of COVID, I, have, I know how to deal with that. But also, if I do decide to go the labor and delivery route, I have experience with that. So I think that would be the best of both worlds. Hospitals across Mississippi are facing uh, 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 nurses and doctors are all stressed out. Um, a lot of them haven't had breaks. As someone who would go in to particularly help alleviate some of that strain, uh, what are your thoughts going into that field? I just hope that we can get some closure or some some kind of answers um, to help end this pandemic. But at the same time, I am actually happy that I went into this field during this time because I am needed more than ever. So um, it's like a two-edged sword uh, being that, you know, I'm coming in during a pandemic, but at the same time, I'm trying to um, try my best to be to help as much as I can because there's only so much I can do sitting at the house. But being that I'm going into the field where it's needed the most, then I feel like I'll be um, essential to help end this pandemic. New nurse Jamie Ramsey with our Kobe Vance. Coronavirus outbreaks in long-term care facilities are also at an all-time high. Recent graduate Candace Ball of Laurel is fulfilling a lifelong dream to be a nurse. She has accepted a job at a nursing home. Ball says she's ready to face the challenges posed by the virus. I really kind of thought looking for a job was going to be a little harder for us to find jobs, us as in new nurses, because I know that people knew that we didn't get, you know, all the experience that, norm, you know, nurses normally get as they go through the program. So I did really think that that would hold us back. Um, but myself and my classmates have all pretty well been hired, the ones that have tried to get a job. You know, they have everybody's been pretty well hired. So that, that was comforting. Um, with the COVID still going on, it is something that you think about, but the way I see it, you can't hide from it. It's everywhere. Um, the best we can do is, is, you know, hand hygiene, you know, try to take care of ourselves, um, immune systems up, you know, eat right. Um, and then just get out here and live. I mean, that's what we've got to do. Um, I think when you sign up for nursing that you, you know that you're going into um, a field where it's a little bit unknown because things pop up from time to time. And so I think it's just part of it. And you just kind of have to, you know, get ready and, and, and just do the best you can. I've heard that a lot of facilities, um, both especially hospitals, but also long-term care facilities, um, have been struggling to find staff or just to keep staff or um, some staff has just been burnt out over this period. Do you think that you're going to be helping relieve some of that burden? Are you concerned about your own uh, your own future in, in, a, in a health system that has been strained because of the coronavirus? I mean, absolutely. I think that I'll definitely help with the strain because I, I do feel like some of your nurses that maybe were closer to the age of retirement that maybe weren't quite ready. Well, when COVID struck, I'm sure that they feared because they kind of fell in that age category that was a little more looked at. And, and of course, we just didn't know a lot about it then. 
And so that opened up a lot of positions and it put a lot of strain on a lot of facilities from what I understand. So absolutely we're coming in and we're filling those gaps. And I mean, I do see that, you know, it, you could get burnt out if you get in a situation to where you're having to cover a lot of shifts and things like that. I don't anticipate that. Um, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen, but I don't anticipate it um, myself because I just know my limits. I know what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do um, as far as how often I'll work and not work. But I'll do, you know, what I can do to help out because if anything, our communities need it, you know, need our help as, as much as we can provide. Candace Ball is a nurse in a long-term care facility. Coming up, the coronavirus incubation period can last up to two weeks, but as we learn from a COVID-19 survivor, the effects of infection can last months. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Right now, mpbonline.org is your resource to stay up to date on the news about COVID-19. The coronavirus is a worldwide pandemic, and MPB is here to let you know how that affects Mississippi mpbonline.org has an entire section dedicated to the coronavirus with links and updates from the Center for Disease Control and the Mississippi Department of Health. Visit our website right now, mpbonline.org, to find out what you need to know. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The incubation period for the coronavirus is anywhere between 2 to 14 days. Some mild cases may exhibit symptoms for a few days, then pass. But severe cases can mean weeks in the hospital, followed by months of therapy and recovery. That was the case for COVID-19 survivor Terry Doremus of Brookhaven. In part two of our conversation, she details her months-long recovery after leaving the intensive care unit. I probably didn't brush my teeth for two weeks. And then when when I finally felt like I could do it, they brought me the little bowl, you know, and water and my toothbrush, and I did it in the bed. <laughs> I told the nurses, I said, because um, I did it at night, just once a day, and I said, this is one of the highlights of my day is being able to brush my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty sad. <laughs> but um, you get to that point where you just can't do anything and just the simple act of, Brushing your teeth um, made you feel better, you know, and um, you felt like you were moving ahead and forward. Um, And I know that I had been there at least three weeks, um, and I I desperately needed a hair wash, but they were just giving me bed baths. So, you know, there was nobody to, because I couldn't handle getting out of the bed into a tub or anything like that. Um, I was definitely not ready for that. And so I was begging the nurses to, <laughs> to, wash, your hair. to wash my hair. And bless their heart, about week three and a half or something like that, um, I even told them how to do it. That I had sat there long enough that I had molded it in my head that I could, I could show them how they could do it. <laughs> and so bless them, they did it. And in my bed and didn't even get anything wet. I mean, it was <laughs> it was amazing. And they actually did it two more times before I was checked out of the hospital. 
And then when I went to the Merritt uh, Health Center for rehab, uh, bathing and hair washing was part of my therapy. Are you still undergoing therapy? No, I had my last therapy, um, outpatient therapy, on Friday um, because I had my big clinical study appointment at UMMC, and you spend four to five hours seeing all the different departments, and I had the pulmonary function test, and you talk to the um, physical therapist, and at that point, she, uh, we had decided that I had really kind of maxed out the good that I was going to get from going to physical therapy and what um, they had shown me I could do from home. Terry, you got sick four months ago, four months ago, and you I said know. you just finished physical therapy. What about any lasting effects? Do you still have trouble with coughing or, or shortness of breath? I do. Um, when they did the pulmonary lung function test, I was still deficient, and I don't have full lung capacity, or um, I still have some, I guess, lingering um, virus uh, effect. They're going to do a CT scan in um, three months, but um, I can tell myself that I'm not normal yet. I, I take as big a breath as I can take, and it still doesn't feel like it's enough, like it used to be. Um, and my lung function t- test was below normal. So I still have something in there, some leftover virus or, you know, just like a pneumonia would have to heal, I guess. Your, your lungs kind of have to heal on their own. I'm walking in the neighborhood, and I have these uh, rubber bands that I use to um, exercise my arms. And um, one of the results of being in the hospital was um, tendonitis in my right shoulder. And I came home with a terrible pain in my right shoulder. If that, if that was wasn't enough, getting... <laughs> if the, if the exactly. COVID-19 wasn't exactly. enough... All you needed was tendonitis so on top of that. I, I had to go to the orthopedic for that. And um, so I'm having to do some arm exercises to strengthen the right arm especially. But, I mean, I really am thankful because I, 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 we have two people in our church this week from the same family who died of COVID. And so I know things could have ended very differently for me, but... I guess God's just not through with me yet, and my testimony has definitely changed, and I hope that I can help someone else going through some of this if if I can. I still don't get out for anything except doctor's appointments um, because they told me that if I were to catch anything else, any other respiratory illness of any kind, that I would be in bad shape because my lungs are not strong and they're not healed. And you put something else on top of that and I'll be in trouble. Cases are going up very quickly in Mississippi. And they're also mutating and changing. So I'm past the three-month point. So I'm susceptible again. So I just can't be out. Terry, what would you say to people 
who are afraid of getting the virus, did you do everything you should have right at the beginning when you got sick? Or is there something you wish you had done or should have done that our listeners should know? Well, I really had taken all the precautions. I I work from home, so I don't go out that much. Uh, My husband and I did go out to some restaurants, and that may have been a mistake. Um, Looking back on it, I I might would have said, let's just pick it up and go home and eat, you know, which is what we do now. Um, So I I guess just take the utmost precaution in every way um, because you just don't know. You don't know about other people. You don't know where they've been and who they've been exposed to. And um, I'm a piano teacher, too, and I've just not talked. I I can't do it. Um, I've got these little children who are begging me to start teaching again, but I just can't take the chance of having some new germs come into my home. So I I would just say take every precaution and do the things that um, the medical folks are saying to do and do it, you know, to the extreme. (laughs) Uh, Terry Doremus, we wish you the best. I hope your recovery, the rest of your recovery is short and sweet and that your breath comes easily. And I so appreciate you telling us your story now. Well, thank you so much for calling. Terry was diagnosed with COVID-19 in early August. And as she said, her final therapy session was just last week. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says nearly 10% of COVID-19 cases end up in the hospital. Coming up, the Public Service Commission is expanding broadband access with help from the FCC. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's Public Service Commission is receiving money from the federal government to bolster its broadband expansion efforts. The Federal Communications Commission announced earlier this week that Mississippi is receiving $495 million as part of Phase 1 of the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. These funds are in addition to the $75 million allocated by the Mississippi Legislature. Chairman Dane Maxwell tells our Michael Guidry the project will show the nation how the Magnolia State is a leader in broadband expansion. As a state, we were we were the first ones to use CARE Act funding money uh, to expand, start the expansion, and we put 150 million dollars into expanding the broadband with the state's money. Uh, the rural development funds that are coming out of FCC—that's what this money is. Uh, and this is just phase one. We'll we'll get a, I think it's about five, 496. Uh, million dollars and uh and then phase two will probably get a similar amount but uh we're very excited about it we worked hard over it senator wickers worked hard and um 
you know, it's going to expand broadband like never before uh, in the state. And now Mississippi was one of a number of states uh, to receive funds, but uh, considering Mississippi's population, it was a bit surprising to see that it received the second most amount of money behind California. Uh, Why such a large investment from the FCC in Mississippi? Well, I think uh, part of that comes from the fact that, you know, we are a a rural state and we have uh, a lot of rural areas that are not covered currently uh, by broadband. And as an agricultural state as well, you know, a lot of our farmers today's world, they, they rely on uh, Internet capabilities as well with their farming equipment. I think the fact that we have aggressively pursued this, we've laid out a very, very detailed plan on how we're going to use it. I think ultimately um, the FCC saw us as one of the leaders in broadband expansion in the nation. Another thing about this issue is that in a very kind of divided and partisan political climate, uh, this has been an issue that has united uh, Mississippi's congressional leaders. The, the commission that, you're, that you chair is, is a bipartisan commission. Uh, so what does it say that you know, this is, in the climate we're in, a unifying issue? Yeah. Well, um, Commissioner Presley is a Democrat. Uh, um, me and Commissioner Bailey are, are Republicans. Uh, but that really doesn't play into into what we do. I mean, you know, one basically our the commission is a quasi judicial dis, uh, commission, so we're we're basically uh, administrative judges for part of that. So I think that carries a lot of weight about how we work well together, and we do. Uh, you know, C- Commissioner Presley has been. Uh, spearheading this before I even came on the commission. And uh, and so being elected chair, I immediately took the reins with him and and, uh, and we took off with it. So uh, it, it, it sure is a fine example of bipartisanship work and getting stuff done because he just left uh, the National Association of Regulatory Commissioners as president for that national organization. Uh, and he helped his influence in getting um, getting that done. And certainly I have a very close relationship with the Trump administration, and I've done the same on my end. And, uh, again, we're, we're the perfect example of coming together in a bipartisan way uh, for what's the best for our people in Mississippi. The issue of, you know, broadband access, it's an issue that kind of really – it was elevated to the height of everyone's consciousness during the pandemic because of the need uh, for, for virtual education. Aside from that educational need that we've seen kind of come to the forefront for, for broadband access, how would you characterize the importance of this uh, for Mississippi as a whole? Well, it, it, it affects everyone. And, and what I've said all along is uh, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for COVID hitting. We wouldn't be at this pace. We it, it it just COVID really sh- showed uh, the legislatures, the governor, lieutenant governor, all your uh, elected officials where we're falling short. The desperate need. The same thing we were saying at the first of the year. They really got it uh, uh, 
just kind of shoved up to them. And, uh, you know, that high-speed Internet factors a lot. Many people will not reside here because they don't have high-speed Internet. Companies won't come here, especially these industrial parks that have no Internet or have uh, just average Internet. Um, you know, but now you have telemed, you've got long-distance learning, uh, and telemed's so important because you're, you're, you've got doctors sitting in front of patients on the computer and making diagnosis and uh, prescribing ju- drugs. With COVID, just brought it all to the surface. And uh, and I've said this, and I'll continue to say it, in, in, the, in our time in history today, that broadband high-speed Internet is our electricity. It's our railroad. Uh, of our time it's you know it's a it's a power it's a power grid it's telephone it's like different parts of our history have had these big factors that affect uh the nation and uh you know when we built railroads to get back and forth and to, to transport goods that that was something the nation needed power when they started running power lines and you know, and clean water and those kind of things. That in our history, in our time, internet is what what that deal is, and and so we have to have it. It's not it's not a luxury anymore. It's a it's a necessity. Dean Maxwell, the public service commissioner for the Southern District and the chair of the commission, we value and appreciate your time, Mr. Maxwell. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.